Amen. You may have a lot of things on your list to do this week, but put at the top, exalt the Lord. Let his glory be over all the earth. Last week, Noad alerted us to spiritual warfare between Jesus' followers and his adversaries. He said, uh, he reminded us that the spiritual warfare is as real as World War II and rages even today. What prompted this reminder of our spiritual conflict was the occasion of Jesus' healing of a blind and mute man from demon possession. And instead of rejoicing in the mighty work of God, instead of acknowledging Jesus as their king, uh, he said, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. The Pharisees blasphemed or slandered the Holy Spirit. They said in um, Matthew 12, uh, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew 12. Matthew 12, 24, the Pharisees said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. The Lord Jesus proceeded to show them the illogic and the unreasonableness and the inconsistency of their statement, of their conclusion. He, uh, the Lord Jesus, cast out the demons by the Spirit of God. This week, the Lord Jesus will see further rebuke the Pharisees for their hard-heartedness and blindness. But even in his rebuke, he gives instruction, some vital instruction for the multitudes as well. So let's, um, let's read in Matthew 12, starting at verse 31. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. We'll look at um, three major points this morning. First, God forgives all sin except blasphemy against his Holy Spirit. Second, God has provided a window to the heart, to man's heart. And then third, God will judge us by our words. We'll make application at the end as, uh, as time permits. Let's pray. Lord, there's much before us in your word uh, here this morning, much to um, apply, much to understand. And so we ask for your Holy Spirit's illumination of your word to our hearts and uh, that you might 
really give us opportunities to look back to today as we go through the week and to, um, to see that you're leading us in this obedience. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Jesus, well, God forgives all sin except for blasphemy against his Holy Spirit. What is blasphemy? Blasphemy is evil speaking against God. It is indignity offered or directed at God by reproachful, malicious, hateful, irreverent words. Why is blasphemy so incredibly wrong? Because God is worthy of the opposite. We sang, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. This is what God deserves. This is what he is worthy of. Another hymn writer wrote, he's pavilioned in splendor and girded with praise. And Psalm 93 one reads, the Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. Of Jesus, we read, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. <laughs> Amen. The Lord deserves our praise. He is worthy of it. Jesus Christ is the person of ultimate refinement, dignity, majesty, and nobility. Consider some of his titles. He is the only begotten Son of God. He is creator of heaven and earth, the Father of eternity, mighty God, judge of the living and the dead, the Prince of Life, God's anointed, the Holy One of Israel, the Holy One of God. And was Jesus less worthy of this praise while he was on the earth than he is in glory? Let's add another title to his name, Emmanuel, God with us. We're not horrified by the insults heaped upon Jesus until we understand something of who he really is. And we dare not think any less of God's Holy Spirit because we read in Acts chapter 10, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. He is worthy of our adoration, of our devotion, of our praise. Yet we hear slander to the Lord Jesus. His generation, we read back in Matthew 11, accused him of being a glutton and a wine drinker, a wine bibber. Then when uh, further back in Matthew 9, because when he um, healed the paralytic, who was uh, lowered down through the roof, he forgave the man's sin. And uh, actually, some of the scribes accused him of blasphemy. In their mock trial before Pilate, 
the chief priests accused Jesus of perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And in that same mock trial, they accused him of stirring up the people to rebellion. They accused Jesus in uh, John chapter 7, verse 20, of having a demon. And in uh, chapter 8, the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not rightly say you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And yet God forgives blasphemy. Why does God listen to his adversaries and answer them at all? Why, why not do as the master did in the parable of the ten talents? He told his servants, bring here those enemies of mine who do not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. God had every right to do that. Why forgive even one sinner one sin? And yet, the Lord promises that he will give any sinner, he will forgive any sinner every sin, including that of blasphemy. A hymn writer wrote, There is forgiveness, God doth say, through the blood, through the blood. Both sin and guilt are put away through the blood, through the blood. We read in... Um, in Psalm 130, the wonderful verses, if you, Lord, should mark iniquities, that is, if you should keep careful track, uh, careful record of our iniquities, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you. There is forgiveness with the Lord. We have a couple of uh, large examples of this forgiveness in Scripture. The uh, first one was the, um, the thief on the cross. This man was definitely a blasphemer. Listen to the words of Mark in his chapter 15. With him, that is with the Lord Jesus, they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking among themselves with the scribes, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let, Christ, let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him, that is, they verbally abused the Lord Jesus. He was a blasphemer. He, um, he said vile things uh, against the Lord. But this blaspheming thief had a major uh, heart change, and he looked to Jesus as his Savior. He said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The Lord Jesus forgave this man his um, indignity, his, um, his blasphemy, as evidenced by his, um, uh, the promise that uh, Jesus gave him of um, uh, reception in paradise. 
The other uh, blasphemer we'll look at um, comes as no surprise, Saul of Tarsus. And uh, wonderfully, during our worship meeting, this, um, this very, these very verses were, um, were brought up in worship to the Lord. Saul's testimony in 1 Timothy 1, 13 through 15, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. Insolent man. That word insolent in the margin of my Bible means violently arrogant. Saul was a violently arrogant blasphemer. <clears throat> but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant. Again, the theme of our worship this morning. With faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Saul not only breathed threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, but he spoke evil of the Lord Jesus in his Pharisaic zeal. But the Lord arrested Saul on the road to Damascus, and Saul responded in repentance and faith. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. The words of our song uh, in our worship meeting this morning comes to mind. But Jesus was there all the time, waiting to open the door. Forgiveness has always been mine, a new life, and so much more. That is what he gave to Saul of Tarsus. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. And uh, so vitally important was um, uh, Paul's statement that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We see this truth live before us. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. We love our Lord Jesus because of his patience toward us. We spoke so bitterly against him, um, but we depend on his forbearance, his restraint, his long-suffering toward sinners, toward the chief of sinners, toward us. But in the same verse, the Lord Jesus warns, whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. What reason can we offer for this? God does not forgive blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. There are a couple of reasons we can put forward. First, uh, because of the undeniability of the Holy Spirit's power. The Lord Jesus made allowance for men and women not recognizing him, but he made no allowance for men and women mistaking the Holy Spirit for Beelzebub. W.E. Vine, in his dictionary, writes something that may help us in our understanding. Uh, he, he writes that anyone with the evidence of the Lord's power before his eyes should declare it to be, declare it to be um, satanic, exhibited a condition of heart beyond 
divine illumination and was therefore helpless. As to the Son of Man, in his state of humiliation, there might be misunderstanding, but not so with the Holy Spirit's power demonstrated. That's the first uh, reason we would suggest uh, for the unforgivability of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. The second is the incredible privilege that these Pharisees had. They were front row witnesses of the Lord Jesus' wondrous works. Jesus was authenticating himself before them with miracles, undeniable, infallible proofs. The Pharisees' blindness and arrogance was inexcusable. It is a frightening thought that anyone could place himself beyond God's grace outside of his forgiveness. These Pharisees did so. The Lord Jesus said, It will not be forgiven him either in this age or in the age to come. The age to come uh, refers to the Lord Jesus' future millennial reign, we believe. And his uh, phrase in this age refers to the days of public ministry on the earth. Bill MacDonald wrote in his commentary, There is reasonable doubt that the unpardonable sin cannot be committed today because he is not bodily present performing miracles. So God forgives blasphemy except for blasphemy against his Holy Spirit. The second point we'd like to make is that uh, really speech reveals the inner man. The Lord Jesus taught the significance of our words. Speech, including blasphemy, are visible expressions of our invisible hearts. The Lord Jesus used three illustrations to show this. Each illustration has an inward source and an outward expression. The first is in verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. Imagine moving into a new house in the winter that has mature trees and plants in the yard. You may have difficulty identifying your trees by their bark and their leaves. Is it a peach or is it a nectarine? Is it a plum or is it a cherry? You have to wait until summer for the tree to bear its fruit. Undoubtedly, trees, fruit trees, were familiar objects as, as the Lord taught the, um, the multitudes. And he tells the, the people that a tree is known by its fruit. He wants us to be discriminating inspectors. Make the good tree and its fruit good, that is, declare it good. He wants us to discern. He wants us to, to identify it. Yes, this tree is good. Its fruit is good. The Lord alone sees the heart, 
but he gives his followers the ability and the responsibility to determine if a tree is good or bad. And he says that the way for us to do that is by examining its fruit. Jesus said in our um, earlier study in Matthew 7, he said, even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Okay, so we go out to, um, we go out to the park and uh, we see uh, poison oak growing in profusion. Some, uh, some of these trees, eight, 10 feet high, and um, it grows berries. Believe it or not, poison oak grows berries. Uh, you don't want to eat the berries. And um, you're not going to find uh, edible fruit on the poison oak. It's a bad tree, and it bears bad fruit. This story reminds me of um, something I overheard from Angelo um, about fruit of the poisonous tree. I think I'm getting the story right. There was a rule established in a 1920 court decision that evidence gained by illegal police action was not allowed in court. Whatever the police found, however incriminating it may be, no matter how significant the evidence was, this fruit was tainted. It was uh, poison because the tree it came from was poison. The tree may have borne lots of fruit, but it was a poison tree and the fruit was poison. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. That's the point of this illustration. And Jesus' lesson to the multitude was this. Discriminate between good and bad. Be discerning. The Pharisees presented themselves as honorable, reputable spokesmen for God. When in reality they were, in Jesus' own words, whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Why were the Pharisees bad trees? Because of their evil doctrine of keeping the law for salvation. They misguided their followers and those who genuinely sought the Lord. The Pharisees bound heavy burdens hard to bear and laid them on men's shoulders, but they themselves would not move one of them with their fingers. Well, by illustration, someone loans you a book or shares a podcast of a sermon, and in your first few pages or first few moments, you hear this, the preacher say uh, things about Jesus and his salvation that are misguided and untrue. You found a bad tree. Don't buy more of this author's books. Don't listen to more of these preachers' podcasts looking for good fruit. They're not there. Make a practice of not borrowing inspirational quotes from people you know are attacking the kingdom of God. That's the tree and its fruit. The Lord Jesus then talks in verse 34, uh, 
he says, brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? He's, uh, he's talking about the heart and its overflow. Brood of vipers, Jesus called the Pharisees. Let's say you're back out at the regional park and uh, you see a, uh, a large flat rock and um, you uh, take your flashlight and you look under the rock and what do you see? There's a whole nest of rattlesnakes. <laughs> uh, Jesus said, you brood of vipers, let's not take them home as pets, okay? He, he says, uh, how can you being destructive, being evil, speak edifying things? Outwardly, the Pharisees appeared righteous. They were morally antiseptic. But the Lord told them that they were evil. They were destroyers. They were pernicious, liars. And that um, out of the abundance of their hearts, they would speak. Abundance. We, we um, praise the Lord for his abundant grace this morning. Abundance, that overflow, that uh, upwelling, uh, like a spring of water, um, welling up, flowing over. What kind of water? Is it refreshing, cold, Sierra snowmelt? Or is it water that overflows from a clogged sewer line? We know both. Years ago, one of my co-workers identified himself as a churchgoer, but his speech included profanity and using the Lord's name as if it were profanity. I challenged him. I said to him, you know what? The Lord provided a window to your heart. Do you know what that is? I think he understood that his speech was a window to his heart. He seemed to understand that his heart was not right because what he spoke was actually overflowing from his heart. But he didn't stop using profanity and he didn't stop profaning the Lord's name. What kind of water flowed from his fountain? We who are the Lord's followers sin with our mouths. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But God promises that every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if I have a habitually foul mouth without remorse or guilt, it shows that I have an unregenerate and an evil heart. So God designed this window to the heart, our words, our speech. A person doesn't slander God with his mouth without first slandering him in his heart. And so we see in the hearts of these Pharisees was rebellion, murder, um, hatred, and jealousy. So far, we've seen the inward source, the hidden source uh, in the tree and its outward expression in fruit. We saw that, um, that hidden man 
of the heart expressing itself in speech. And uh, finally, the third illustration the Lord uses is the storehouse or the, um, uh, the good treasure in verse 35. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. Uh, W.E. Vine defines a treasure as a place of safekeeping, a storehouse. What is good treasure? A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. When I was a kid, my family used to shop at um, service merchandise. For how many does that ring a bell? Oh, good. <laughs> okay, I remembered it right. Um, the store was neat and clean, and the staff was helpful. We would look for merchandise on display, and uh, we'd find what we needed. We'd fill in an order form and give it to the clerk, and then go to the back of the store, and we'd watch the conveyor for our merchandise to roll down the conveyor. It was all good stuff. Vacuum cleaners, food processors, stereo, all brand new. From that warehouse in the store came forth good things. Good treasure may refer to the new man in Christ. Good treasure may refer to Christ in you. Wonderfully, good treasure may refer to the Word of God, which... Um, you have made such a part of your life that when, um, when you draw from that, it's a good thing. You bring forth uh, beneficial, edifying things. That's a warehouse that we draw from. Good things, which Jesus refers to, I believe, is speech that edifies. It builds up. In Ephesians 4, Paul wrote, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that is, building up, that it may impart grace to the hearers. That's great. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. Well, what about the evil man? Um, Out of the evil treasure, uh, bringing forth evil things. Evil here is the same word as the Lord used for the um, Pharisees in the previous verse. Malignant evil, causing labor, pain, and sorrow. By illustration, we drive out to, um, to the wetlands. Um, some of you may be familiar with the, um, uh, the wetlands uh, on Doolittle Drive, uh, south of the airport. Um, It really smells during the summer. We used to have to roll our windows up um, when we drove past. But let's say that we go to the property owner of that patch of wetlands and we say, sir, give me the best of your swamp. And the man says, sure. So 15 minutes later, he comes with a bucket of miry, stinky, black goo. And he boasts, this is the best I have. (laughs) 
I hope you weren't disappointed. He, you asked for his best and he gave you his best. It's still stinky, miry goo. God gave a window to the heart so that we can discern a, a person's spiritual state. And um, it's interesting just to meet uh, a new person, just to meet a new friend, and to sit and um, let him talk. Just talk, 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 talk. We're going to find out what's that person's heart. We're going to find out what, is, um, what his inward person is because of his outward expression. The um, third point in our lesson today is that God judges us by our words. Our words are significant. He says um, in verse 36, I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. A person may argue that what we discern as profanity, he merely uses as conversational filler. Jesus warns that for every one of these filler words, man must give account. We quoted Psalm 130 already. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, that is, keep a careful record of our wrongs, O Lord, who can stand? Who can stand in the day of, of God's judgment? If God so judges our filler words, what will he do with the words we spoke as being more significant? Why? Why does God judge words? He sees our hearts, perhaps for our benefit. He sees the heart. He sees the hidden person, the inner man. We do not. We may try to justify our hearts, our secret motives, as things that only we understand. But our words and our actions we cannot deny. So God judges the fruit, the acts, the overflow, the things that are brought forth from the heart. He says in verse 37, by your words you will be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. What are words that justify? Well, here are some in Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart one believes unto righteousness, and with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. <clears throat> Faith resides in the heart. It's invisible. It's inward. It expresses itself outwardly in confession, so that um, we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus as we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Here's another justifying word. Thomas, my Lord and my God. Those are words that justify. What are words that condemn? Well, just these words that we've, uh, that we've read, the Pharisees, say that um, Jesus does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub. It's the evil speaking that people speak against the Lord.
What application should we make to, um, to this lesson? There are several. First, listen to your own speech. Before the Lord, do your words justify you or do they condemn you? Second, for those of us who know the Lord, be a discriminating inspector. If Uncle Bobby has a foul mouth, he likely has a rotten heart. Don't make excuses for him when he takes the Lord's name in vain. We may be tempted to say, oh, he's just having a bad day. Don't do it. Don't excuse him. Don't laugh at his religious jokes because they blasphemy. They blaspheme the Most High God. Call them what God calls them, malignant, evil, destructive. Third, be a careful listener. Hear what people say. Don't excuse their evil speaking. Don't dismiss their earnest seeking. Today's scripture began with the promise of forgiveness. It ends with God's warning of judgment. God is not willing that any should perish. Say, what's on your heart today? Let's pray. We thank you for your power and your glory. Thank you for your word, Lord Jesus. And uh, we love you for telling it like it is, uh, for being a righteous judge, for being a loving savior, and um, for being, uh, being there for us when we need you. We thank you in your name. Amen.